Finding Our Way Home As discussed earlier, by paying attention, we can cultivate witness consciousness and discover the meaning of the expression, where your attention goes, there your energy goes, which comes from our self-created focal point that's responsible for our thoughts and actions. Simply by paying attention and observing, we enhance presence and mindfulness while not allowing our sense of well-being to rely on anything other than our own presence of awareness. When we're focused and tuned in in this manner, our unique witness consciousness acts as a sympathetic and empathetic transmitter, taking the role of conductor to get our orchestra of thoughts, feelings, emotions, and perceptions to sing the same tune. Instead of denying uncomfortable feelings and perceptions that create a non-harmonious, asynchronous state, what if we sought out and embraced them? Among their many definitions, shamans are called bridges because of their ability to travel to other realms to retrieve healing knowledge and recover lost souls in what is called soul retrieval. They're also referred to as wounded healers because in discovering and healing the source of their own traumas and injuries, they gain the ability to recognize and heal those same wounds in others. When we are egocentric, our shadow aspects see our shortcomings in others and projects them onto them, judging and magnifying them in order to avoid seeing those very same things in itself. This survival mechanism is a protective strategy to keep it autonomous and separated because it fears losing its very existence, and in this process, it keeps us self-centered and wrapped up in a bubble of egocentricity. When a shaman, through hard work and discomfort, raises their awareness and gets past the mortal terror this invokes, they discover the hidden wounds within themselves and become sympathetic and empathic to those traumas. Instead of denying these wounds that they themselves have created, they embrace them like the abandoned aspects or sub-personalities that they are and bring them home. In discovering the origins of their trauma-induced creations, embracing them, and taking responsibility, this process brings a shift from being reactive and unconsciously ego or personality-driven to being conscious and actively essence-driven. By discovering the source of their own hidden pain, discovered through the soul retrieval of their own sub-personalities, shamans receive the gift of compassion which allows them to heal those very same wounds in others through their recognition and acceptance of that which they found within themselves. Gurdjieff taught that man consists of two parts, essence and personality. Essence in man is what is his own. Personality in man is what is not his own. Not his own means what has come from outside, what he has learned or reflects which includes all traces of exterior impressions left in the memory and in the sensations, all words and movements that have been learned, and all feelings created by imitation. All this is not his own. All this is personality which is created partly by the intentional influences of other people and partly by involuntary imitation of them when a child itself. In the creation of personality, a great part is also played by resistance to people around them and by attempts to conceal from them something that is their own. In Gurdjieff's words, Essence is the truth in man. Personality is the false. 
But in proportion as personality grows, essence manifests itself more and more rarely and more and more feebly, and it very often happens that essence stops in its growth at a very early age and grows no further. It happens very often that the essence of a grown-up man, even that of a very intellectual and, in the accepted meaning of the word, highly educated man, stops on the level of a child of five or six. This means that everything we see in this man is in reality not his own. What is his own in man, that is his essence, is usually only manifested in his instincts and in his simplest emotions. There are cases, however, when a man's essence grows in parallel with his personality. Such cases represent very rare exceptions, especially in the circumstances of cultured life. Essence has more chances of development in men who live near to nature in difficult conditions of constant struggle and danger. Psychology has historically dismissed shamans as schizophrenics, epileptics, and hysterics. Jung stated that shamanism works out of a primitive mentality that sees the psyche as outside the body, whereas modern culture views the psyche as inside. What separates shamanism and psychotherapy is a clash of metaphysics. Mainstream psychotherapy locates the real inside and constructs a topography of drives, instincts, archetypes, complexes, and the like to explain our experience as the result of interior dynamics. While shamanism locates the real outside and maps a greater cosmos comprised of a lower world, middle world, upper world, and the entities that live in them. What if the solution to this paradox were to lie hidden at its center, where both sides of this dichotomy coexisted? What if, deep inside your inner landscape, you found an energetic portal that brought you further out into realms and dimensions you could never have imagined? Aside from the fact that in ayahuasca shamanism it is often the healer who takes the medicine, one of the fascinating things about it, and the effects of its psychoactive component DMT, is the agreed-upon psychological landscape, replete with crystal castles, plant, animal, and other spirits, and their places in the lower, middle, and upper worlds, regardless of the time and geographic location of the experience. Being agreed upon by those bold or lucky enough to brave its frontiers makes it a consensual reality, but where would you locate this place? In many ways, we experience our psyches as outside. Using our dreams as an example, if they were strictly internal, they would take us wandering inside the organs and tissues of our own bodies, but they do not. They take us to tropical islands, strange netherworlds, and the sky as well as many other places into waking consciousness. From our subjective experience of them, our dreams are out there, in the cosmos of dreaming. If we remain faithful to our experience, the way indigenous societies do, we have to say that the unconscious of our dreaming sojourns are not invisible realms inside our heads, hearts, or stomachs. The domains that we travel through in our dreams and shamanic journeys are experienced as an alternate cosmos with a different set of rules, invisible to our ordinary awareness of space and time, while suffusing and extending it far beyond in infinite directions. If we try to give an account of a non-rational experience that attempts to describe things the way we experience them, for example, 
shamanic journeys that take place in the unconscious. What we mean is that we travel through a realm that is unknown to ordinary awareness, one that does not take place in the space and time of our everyday experience of consensual reality. It takes place in an imaginal cosmos no less real than this one, but radically different. Furthermore, like the hypothesis of the unconscious, the shamanic realm of imaginal sojourns is in a sense more real than that of everyday awareness, making psychology's definition of the unconscious the greater reality within which our ordinary awareness is too fragmentary and narrow to adequately understand itself. Here, the shamanic point of view is in agreement, for shamanism finds that everyday events have a larger meaning that can only be appreciated when we journey out of the everyday into the greater cosmos that encompasses this little one. So the forces of the shamanic cosmos shape and determine what happens to us in our everyday lives. Jung described soul loss as a drop in the level of mental functioning, characterized by depression, uncertainty, inattention, powerlessness, and the like, saying that a quantity of psychic energy, which normally belongs to the ego, has disappeared into the unconscious. From an energetic perspective, this is described as an energy leak. This lost package of libido would normally power our daily activities with attentiveness, enthusiasm, and decision-making. According to Jung, a psychological cure would entail recovering this lost energy by descending into the unconscious through dreams, visions, and active imagination to find out what that energy is up to, as the energy lost from consciousness does not cease to exist. It's up to something, stirring up imaginal adventures in that other world. By participating in those adventures and discovering their emotional and symbolic significance for everyday life, the energy leak can be repaired and restored so that life can resume with new vigor and follow a more satisfying direction. In this context, this lost sense of self can be found in that alternate cosmos that interpenetrates and extends beyond this one. From the point of view of psychology, shamanism works with the metaphysical assumption that the soul or quantum of psychic energy that has been lost is a distinct, recognizable entity that can be found and recovered. The errant soul or subpersonality is lost, not simply in a dark corner of our personal dreamscape, but in an objective realm that is accessible to anyone who knows how to enter it. This shamanic perspective goes far beyond the psychological, but its success demonstrates its accuracy. Shamanism and psychology may be suspicious of one another because, to psychology, these shamanic events appear to be based on a kind of hocus-pocus occultism. While shamanism perceives that mere psychology is barred by its own dualistic and word-oriented assumptions from gaining access to a realm of experience that is real but generally unknown to our Western consensus. As Jung's thought matured, his psychology became more and more shamanic, at first characterized by his discovery of what he called the feeling-toned complex stemming from trauma that established a complex of powerlessness and defeat, leaving a fragment or subpersonality that interpreted the world as a hostile and overpowering place. This worldview worked unconsciously over the course of months and years 
collecting more and more evidence of its misleading accuracy. The way to get free of such a complex is not to take it on directly and demonstrate its inaccuracy in an intellectual manner, but to replace it with another more functional and emotionally compelling complex. In other words, the solution lies in giving this subpersonality a new job by giving it another worldview that is already implicit but undiscovered. Its superiority will be self-evident, and it will impart a feeling tone of greater self-confidence. Jung's search for a more powerful complex led him deeper into the psyche and to the discovery of what he called archetypes, universal human themes, modes of perception, and patterns of behavior invested with compelling emotional values that draw the subject into a new way of life by sending them into an archetypal dreamscape to discover what their lost libido was up to in the domain of mythological images. Here, there is an agreement with shamanism that there is a greater cosmos accessible to imaginative faculties that are neglected in everyday waking consciousness. In Symbols of Transformation, Jung accepted the proposition that this greater cosmos, the domain of the unconscious, is objective in the sense that it works to affect changes in people's lives and assist them in discovering their unconscious wholeness, recovering soul parts that have been split off. It's considered a collective realm shared by everyone. Shamanism shares a number of agreements with Jungian psychology, but the two disciplines go about their work in different ways.